0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Lions 24/7 podcast, getting you ready for another Penn State matchup. Game number 3 of the 9 game schedule here in 2020 comes our way 3:30 p.m. kickoff in Beaver Stadium. The Maryland Terrapins come to town off of a victory over Minnesota. They're 1 and 1 on the season, Penn State as we've documented quite a bit, 0 and 2 on the season looking for their first victory back on home turf and Sean, we're going to get into this a bit with Jeff Ehrman a little bit later from uh, the 24-7 Sports Maryland site. Uh, He'll give us the lowdown on this Maryland squad, uh, what they're bringing to town this time around. And this is a series, though, where if you're looking for a little relief, and I think right now Penn State is, and Penn State fans are this is a nice matchup to get into against Maryland, uh, a team that outside of that 2014 loss at home in James Franklin's first season uh, has been well dominated over the course of this series. 41 or 42 and 1 all-time is the record for Penn State. More recently, five consecutive victories the last 3 years, a cumulative score of 163 to 6. Be ready to hear that at least a few times on Saturday when this game is previewed on television and early in that broadcast. Uh, they've served up a bunch of weapons in this series of late, and they could uh, sh- certainly use that now, uh, some momentum to seize as the Big Ten schedule opens up in front of them and they got past these first two games with losses. Um, there's a lot to like about how the rest of the schedule may unfold for them, but Penn State has to prove uh, that, that they're ready to take some steps forward here.
1: Well, you're sitting there at 0-2, and you see Maryland. It's got to make you happy. I mean, this is a team that you've um, not just beaten but dominated over the last few matchups, and that's something that – I mean, their roster – while it has had some turnover, isn't really any more talented than it was last year when you beat them 59 to nothing. So you've got to get your stuff in and, uh, you know, get your work in. I, I don't, I still don't think, I know they, they beat Minnesota last week. Still don't think this is a very good Maryland team, especially that defense is going to give you a chance to run the football. And really, I think, you know, just coming out of that Ohio state game, you need to get something going. And I know, you know, you're going to look at it and you're going to say, okay, Maryland plays an odd front or Maryland, you know, doesn't have the horses to keep up. I mean, you just got to get something going because once you get that feeling and how that starts to go, then all of a sudden maybe some things will click, you know, uh, trickle down on the rest of the offense. So I do think it's uh, a great time to, to be there uh, to catch Maryland because, I mean, you're, you're coming off that Ohio State game. You're thinking, man – Uh, make a couple of plays here and there, run the football a little bit better. Maybe we're in that, but you don't have time to worry about, you know, beating Ohio state. And I think Maryland's a good, sort of a good remedy for that. And I don't want to, you know, spend the whole time, you know, just dragging on Maryland or whatever, but you know, that those numbers are those numbers for a reason. 163 to six since 2017, Penn state's had a firm grasp on this. And I, I expect that to continue this weekend
0: maryland's last big 10 road win at a university not named Rutgers. oh it was you this time <laughs> got to go all the way back to september of two, 2017 when they won at minnesota so uh you're looking at more than a three-year sample size uh, where they have not gone anywhere except uh, to piscataway new jersey and picked up a, a road win in the big 10 uh, they will be on the road penn state second consecutive week back on the road for them next week against Nebraska, but not looking ahead here. Um, the the win, let's start here. The win that Maryland is coming off of, it was a Friday night game. It was, uh, uh, probably, you know, had more eyes on Maryland than they normally would because it was the only show in town for the Big Ten. And they played a Minnesota team that coming off what they did last year, even losing Kirk Shiraka and losing some other key parts to the NFL. Still pretty good hopes in place in the Big Ten West for the Golden Gophers. Thus far, I think it's fair to say a victory over Minnesota in 2020 looks a lot different, seems a lot different in terms of significance than it did in
1: 2019. It sounds a lot better than, than it is. I mean, you just look at the, the first week against Michigan. You thought, oh my gosh, Michigan – and we do this with Michigan every year. You thought Michigan might be a world beater. But given what Minnesota did last year, I think you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. I know they've got some guys missing. Of course, they lost Kirk Shiraka, But you, you would think that Minnesota wouldn't drop off that far. But it seems like they have, especially defensively. So, um, you know, just on paper, it's uh, – it, I mean, it's certainly, you know, for Maryland to come in – I mean, you didn't expect Maryland – Maybe to not win a game this year, especially after week one at Northwestern, all of a sudden for them to get a win has got to be big for their program. But at the same time, uh, you got to take a look at what Michigan and Michigan State did the following week. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of garbage going on uh, with, with Minnesota right now. So, I mean, I, I, I it, it's a it's an impressive win on that scale, I would say for Maryland. But you know that you're talking about getting to two, maybe three wins this season. So I mean, I think you got to take that in in some sort of context. Uh, just looking at the film, both teams just could not stop anybody. I mean, that, that, there's really not a ton of in-depth analysis that you could break from uh, from Minnesota to Maryland. And on top of that, M- Minnesota blew a big lead in the fourth quarter. So um, credit Maryland for being resilient. Um, Talia Tagovailoa, and I was the first one to say it on this episode. I see you have the, this, the uh, pronunciation mapped out here. You weren't um,
0: quite there, but you, you, we'll, we'll get there.
1: Ah, I thought I was good. But uh, no, I mean, he, he, was, uh, he was very good in terms of putting the ball where he needed to be also, you know, kind of a misnomer when you take a look at how Minnesota played defense. So I think that, you know, obviously Penn State's got a ton of advantages in this game. You get to him and it's, it's really interesting. Just, I mean, I watched the Maryland Northwestern game for some reason. I have no idea. I'm not sure why I found it on, but it was, uh, it was something, uh, just something to watch, I guess. But Northwestern ran all over them. They really didn't have much trouble at all. Uh, Takavailoa had Uh, 94 yards passing and three interceptions. And he flips the script last week with 394 and three touchdowns and no interceptions. So, I mean, that's, that's like, you you don't know where Maryland is, but I also think, you know, that Maryland is not very high on that scale overall. No. And, and,
0: and uh, if there's somewhere in between uh, that should be good enough for Penn State to handle business. I I mean, there is no in between for their defense. We're going to, you know, they're coming off of a nice offensive performance where, as you said, it was a game where, Who's going to stop who? And, and ultimately, it came to a missed extra point on a uh, after a touchdown. So that's how that one ended. Uh, but defensively, six hundred plus rushing yards allowed through two games and i don't think anyone's really pointing to minnesota although you know they were repressive on the ground at times last year and over the course of the year minnesota and and maryland weren't being circled as these big dominant ground game attacks going into the 2020 season um and right now maryland just struggling to bring play, bring guys down uh, giving up major chunks setting up easy second downs uh, and, and and short third downs and that's been an issue for penn state it seems uh, you know getting themselves in, in some in, in situations where they're not Gaining those yards early on on, on early downs, um, you know Sean Clifford's been the guy that they've leaned on in the run game each of the past couple of weeks because of how things have shaken up. Uh, but I think when you look at Maryland, you know Tunga Viloa is the buzzy name. You know had had his kind of welcome to the Big Ten performance. Transferred to Maryland this off season, he's obviously got the. No one's going to confuse that last name with anyone else. Everyone knows who his big brother is. Um, so that that's an interesting added pressure, and you're going to hear comparisons and contrasts, whether they're warranted or not, to his older brother throughout his college career. And that started a lot on Friday. I can't even, I think I lost track of how many times Big Brother was referenced during the course of that contest. But these are different players. Um, you know, he's a guy who can bring a little bit of, of dynamic ability to the ground game um, in his own right. But uh, I think w- with Maryland, they've got nice weapons on the outside. They've got some receivers. Um, I-, I still like the matchup for Penn State. The one guy that that I you know will be keeping a close eye on because we kept a close eye on him as a recruit it was rakeem Jarrett you know kind of broke through a bit had a had a quiet opener but then again it was quiet across the board for their offense against northwestern but you know six catches for sixty eight yards uh last week and, and then you saw uh jones and and, and demus uh go over one hundred uh two receivers going over one hundred is always a good sign of where your attack is. Um and and then the other name to reference here because he's coming off a 220 yard performance uh, on the ground is Jake Funk um at running back and um pretty stark contrast just like it's been for this team week 1 six carries 35 yards against Northwestern week 2 21 carries 221 yards against Minnesota again I'm not really sure what we're going to see from this Maryland offense um, I feel like there's a a lot of ways that Penn State can outmatch them and really get some momentum going defensively but where I just can't wrap my head around Maryland being a, a, a problem for Penn State is offensively even in that week one loss Penn State piled up the total yardage uh, we saw them put together some some, uh, some lengthy drives against Ohio State over the course of that second half. Some big playability there. Um, I think for me, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but for me, this is the game to get that engine revving for the rushing attack. With Penn State, whether it's Devin Ford, whether you're working in those two true freshmen that we did not see against Ohio State, Kevon Lee, Kaziah Holmes, get some confidence going, and 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 really that's going to start with the offensive line. This should be a game. Last year, even we saw with the offensive line, really was able to have their way with Maryland. I think Penn State scored on six of their first seven drives during that blackout in College Park last year. Um, you'd think the offensive line would be well positioned in this contest at home against this Maryland defense that has not been able to, to serve up a wall against any rush attack. This should be their way to, to really get something brewing and, and maybe start to, 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 turn, to turn a corner because they need to uh, right now in the ground game.
1: I think you're 100% right there. I mean, I'm, that's my biggest focus this week is the ground game. Maryland plays a 3 4, which, you know, Penn State, I know it's a different offense and a different coordinator, but the last couple of times they go out against an odd front, they've done pretty well. So I'm interested to see how they're able to run the football, what this means for Devin Ford. And I think, Given the propensity of, of coaches to hold back in terms of substitutions and things like that against teams like Ohio State, I do expect to see the two freshmen out there more than, you know, more than obviously more than last week, but, you know, more than you would expect. So I expect those guys to get some run. I expect some more substitutions. I expect uh, a little bit more not playing around, but seeing what you got from some of these guys, because really, this is your this is your entry to um you know what sort of major college football starting your season would typically look like. So I think we'll see more of Kevon Lee. I think we'll see more of Keziah Holmes and and see what Devin Ford maybe can can yeah, I guess break loose and see if he can get going. So yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. The running game is huge. Um turning it over to the other side of the ball, you you're right. They do have some talent at wide receiver. Um, you know, maybe some of that is um Expanded by what we saw Minnesota's defense look like, but Dante Demas, has have always been high on him. Rakeem Jarrett's obviously very talented. Brian Cobbs is a guy that's made some catches for them, and so I, I think that that's an interesting matchup. Uh, when you've got three receivers like that, it's going to you know maybe put some emphasis on the slot, and that's not been a very good spot for Penn John, State this here year. here
0: we go again. Yeah. Yep, the there slot. we are.
1: So we will see what happens there. Um, We will see what happens in terms of substitutions. I think having Jesse Lucchetta for the whole game this week will be big because, you know, Jake Funk's not going to run for 220 yards on Penn State. But you want to keep him you know, from moving the chains and doing those little things. I, Jake, Jake Funk's a, a nice little scrappy player, but he's not a guy that should beat you on the ground. Um, you know, They didn't run the ball much against Northwestern. I don't really expect them to, to be able to do a ton uh, on the road at Penn State once again this weekend. So I think the scrappy, matchups –
0: Hold on. Scrappy? Is he like a lunch pail kind of guy? That's yeah, he's a white funk kid. Of, right? yeah. Go ahead. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Um, but no, he's he, – and it, by the way, he's a great high school player. He went to Damascus um, down in Maryland where Brian Bressy went and known about him. Good football family and and things like that but yeah if he beats you you've got certainly have problems up front so I think that there's there's many advantages here but you look at that run game you look at uh, Penn State's corners and secondary of how they can you know hold these guys down and you know you get a little bit of pass rush and maybe get home um, on the quarterback and and that's a Pretty good recipe. Like I said, I I made my prediction, uh, you know, earlier in the week, and then I went and looked at some more some more of that Minnesota tape, and st- obviously feel a little bit better about where I stand with that. So um, I think Penn State should be in a in a pretty good spot there. And 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 I know that this is going to be a situation where nobody's really going to care because you're coming off that loss to Ohio State. You say, okay, you can do that against Maryland. That's fi- fine. But where's that against Ohio State? And I get that, but you need to some see some sort of progress. You need to see some sort of uh meshing together up front and and you know folding that into the running game and building on that with the passing game and all that kind of stuff cuz you can you can bust big plays against this uh this defense and I think that's you know probably more confidence than anything
0: there's a, a very much a wide expectation that Penn State avoids its first 0 and 3 start since 2001 uh which was its first 0 and 3 start since 1982 I believe so that is, that is, I think, you know, you look at the line. It's around 25 points. You look at the confidence. It's, it's there for Penn State to pick up a win. I think people will be looking very closely at how they pick up that win this week. Is it a sloppy win that you have to survive at the end and make big time plays late in the fourth quarter in a matchup where you've been able to empty your bench in the third quarter? Or is this a convincing win where Penn State's able to develop something it hasn't, which is a lead over the course of this season? Any lead that Penn State has held, it's been by the skin of their teeth, and it has been short-lived over the span of these first couple games. Didn't lead any point against Ohio State. It took them a long time to get there against Indiana, and they couldn't hold on. So to me, psychologically, the, the fans, the team itself, A 14-0 kind of advantage early on. A 21-3 kind of advantage. The kind of scores that we have seen of late in these Maryland-Penn State matchups would go a long way toward getting to open up the roster a bit in this contest and start feeling good about yourself. That is part of the battle here. This team hasn't won a football game in a long time. Last December is what we're looking at about going on 11 complete months since they last won a football game, you know, give or take a few weeks. It's a long time. You want to get that taste back in your mouth. You want to get that for some of these younger players who have not experienced a lot of winning as as key contributors in their career, and I think it's you know, it's important not just for the fans and and the players, but for this coaching staff, which has new faces, and they're looking to get on the right track as well. Uh, we're going to talk about a few more keys to this contest. Uh, we're going to jump into our score predictions for Maryland versus Penn State. We also have some final thoughts on the upcoming commitment of top-ranked Pennsylvania uh, defensive back Derek Davis, which is coming on Saturday, down to just a few schools. Penn State, of course, is among them. But first, uh, we're going to speak with Jeff Ehrman from 24/7 Sports Maryland site about what these Terps bring to the table. Is he impressed by what he's seen through two weeks? Is he down maybe a little bit more than you'd think coming off a loss? Hear that conversation right now. Uh, he joined Sean for about 12 minutes.
1: Welcome back to the Lions 24-7 podcast. We bring in Jeff Ehrman of InsideMarylandSports.com. Jeff's been with 24-7 Sports uh, probably almost as long as I have. Um, But, yeah, he's been covering the Terps for a long, long time. He's seen a lot. I mean, that's when you're covering Maryland football, there's uh, a lot of uh, highs and lows and just a lot of everything in between. But the latest installment has Mike Loxley. And speaking of highs and lows – this Maryland team, uh, not many more uh, peaks and valleys than they've seen in the first two weeks of the season. They had the the big loss to Northwestern to start the big comeback against Minnesota last year. So can you gauge about uh, where this team would be going into week three?
2: Yeah, it's funny you phrase it like that, Sean, it's really difficult to get a gauge for this team because the two outcomes have been so vastly different. You know, the first week they lose by 40 at Northwestern to Leah tongue of Ilo low and the quarterback throws three interceptions just all around uh dismal performance by the whole team and then they get this kind of momentous comeback win against minnesota last week they're down by 17 points heading into the fourth quarter come back and win in overtime when minnesota's kicker misses an extra point uh so it's hard to gauge exactly who they are you know i think we can maybe safely gauge they're better than last year just because of the improved quarterback play but i think You know, this weekend at Penn State will tell us a lot—not necessarily whether they win or lose, because it's going to be a really hard game for them to win. But whether they're competitive, you know, that if they're competitive in this game, especially given how Penn State has just absolutely throttled them the past several games, several meetings, I think that'll tell us a little more.
1: Is there any carryover? I mean, last year, obviously that was a big build-up game for Maryland, canceled classes and everything, et cetera. Um, and then Penn State, as you mentioned, just came in and, and beat the brakes off of them. But is there any carryover? I mean, has there been much talk from players, coaches, anything like that through the week about I I don't want to say revenge tour because that's more of a Michigan thing, but like what what's the feel? Um, you know, I guess then versus now?
2: No, they haven't. I think when you get to the point where you are blown out by the same team every year. There's really nothing you can say. You know, you have to just kind of keep your head down and say, we know they're really good. We want to go in there and do this and do that and give all the cliches. But, you know, Maryland hasn't scored a touchdown in the last three games against Penn State, which is unthinkable, even in a mismatch, for one side not to score a touchdown in three straight games. So they haven't said anything about that kind of thing. Loxley gave Franklin in the program all the typical props heading into it. And I think, you know, I think they'll be focused. I think that, that clearly those past few few meetings will be on their mind, but I don't know if that gives them any more of a motivational advantage considering Penn State's 0-2 and and they're going to be motivated to kind of get their backs off the wall.
1: In terms of advantage, obviously, quarterback play, um, you expect it to be better this year with Talia. Um, it, it's it, As you mentioned, I think he threw for, what, 94 yards in week one and 394 in week two, which is just yeah. incredible. Had the three picks in week one, had the three or four touchdowns last weekend. I mean, have you gotten a gauge for him? Because this is a guy that obviously could could be – you know the difference between a you know a couple of wins or you know one win and a couple of wins when you're talking about that schedule. So, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess, how do you think he fits in, and how do you think he's uh, adjusted so far?
2: Yeah, and more importantly, like he could be that difference this year, two win difference or whatever it might be. But more importantly, long term, he's a difference between maybe continuing to struggle like you have and having some hope that you have something to build on in the future to, to start winning a lot more. Uh, the first week, he really struggled. You know, he started off hot on the first drive, threw, then threw an interception in the second one, and then I think he just kind of lost his – I don't know why. It all it all went downhill. I don't want to say lost his confidence because he's a really confident player, but uh, last week he was incredible. Three touchdowns passing, like you mentioned. He rushed for another two. Uh, I mean, he he was just dropping the ball right into his receiver's hands you know, almost the whole game showed really good running ability, but it's against a Minnesota defense, which I don't think is, is, is probably one of the worst in the conferences year. Their, their front line has looked pretty slow to me. So, you know, he's not going to do that every week, but. You know, that that again is going to be interesting to see what he does against Penn State. I assume his results will probably be somewhere in that middle ground between what he did in, in week one and week two. But, you know, the bar at Maryland for quarterback play is not very high uh, in the past 10 or 15 years. So even if he's not his brother, which is highly likely that he won't be, you know, if he's anywhere near the guy we saw last week, he's the best quarterback they've had in quite a while.
1: Unfortunately, the bar at quarterback there has just been finished the season, you know, healthy, and that's yeah. uh, it's been unfortunate to watch some of those guys uh, in their careers that go the way they go. But it's just uh, just brutal once you think about it. But they do have some receivers. They you know put up some big numbers last week. Dante Demas is a guy that played last year, of course, for Kim Jarrett, Brian Cobb's the Penn State legacy. So I mean, how much trouble do you think these receivers? Because I I do think Maryland's going to have to pass quite a bit, obviously, uh, on Saturday. How much trouble do you think those receivers can bring?
2: I think that's the strongest position. I've thought that since before the season, that's their best unit. Uh, Linebackers defensively are pretty good too, but uh, they've got a lot of talent there. They don't have that Stefan Diggs or DJ Moore kind of guy. I think Dante Dimas is probably an NFL draft pick top maybe four or five rounds uh they've got several other really good solid guys and then obviously Rakeem Jarrett the five-star freshman so they don't have that one established all-conference guy but they do have a lot of weapons and and Talia is really good about spreading the ball around you know he's not a guy who's gonna who's gonna lock in on one guy so you know to me it's their best at least most deepest well-rounded receiver core that they've had in a while
1: Jake Funk, six carries, 35 yards against Northwestern, 21 carries, 221 yards and a touchdown against Minnesota. What What's going on there?
2: <laughs> yeah, well – some of it was they had to abandon the run completely in like the second quarter at Northwestern because they were down so big because he was running the ball fairly well in that game. Nothing like we, nothing like last weekend, but, uh, and then the offensive line was, was clearing some really big holes for him against Minnesota. He does look bigger and more explosive than he he's ever been in his career. You know, he's rehabbing from a torn ACL last year, uh, and looks great. You know, whether he'll be able to do anything like that, you know, he's not going to do put up 200 yards often but whether he's able to be that guy or anywhere near that guy consistently or if that was also just you know the product of minnesota's defense we'll have to wait and see it kind of goes back to that thing where we don't know what they are based on these the discrepancy between those two games but so far he's he's erasing some of the doubts that he can be a 1a running back that
1: people had about him he's a great kid too three-time academic all big 10 redshirt senior the kind of guy that you, you you love to have in your program yes Defensively, doesn't look too good. I'm not. I don't know that that's stretching it or anything like that. I mean, 44 points against Minnesota last week. I think 43 against Northwestern. Defensively, they got some work to do, right?
2: Yeah, the defense really just isn't very good. You know they've they've allowed I think the most rushing yards in the Big Ten. So that's obviously an issue, even though Penn State might not have the kind of running game they've had it sometimes in the past. You know they should be able to get you know have their way on the ground. I would think Maryland's just way too easily giving up the edge. They haven't set the edge in the two games and they're just getting uh beat to the outside repeatedly, so they haven't they also haven't forced a turnover in two games, which is I think the result of lack of a pass rush, largely, you know, the pass rush just hasn't been there. They don't have a sack either. So, you know, there's there's they're improving personnel wise through recruiting on the defense. But it's still got a ways to go.
1: If you're looking at this game and saying, how can Maryland catch Penn State? I don't know if you watch too much Penn State, but what does Maryland have to do to 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 I don't know, set the set that in, in their favor?
2: Well, I think that they need to, largely, you know, they need to play better than they have defensively. Obviously, that's the biggest thing. Um, Pressure Clifford, they need to get some pressure going for the first time. I know Clifford's been a little bit injury, or excuse me, a little bit uh, mistake prone. And I've seen the (laughs) fans don't seem to be uh, too enamored with him these days. So, you know, find a way to generate a pass rush. Um they need another huge game from from Tonga Bayloa but either way, you know, it's it's going to be really hard for them to win this game. I think they'll go obviously you go into any game wanting to win, but I think from the 10,000 foot above you at this stage of the rebuilding process, if you're Maryland, again, you got to at least just compete because you can't consistently, and it, and it hurts in recruiting too. Obviously, Penn State comes in and, and recruits the area as heavily as anybody else from outside the area does. So, you know, I think that they, you know, they, and another thing is don't fall behind early. You know, Penn State will come in, should come in extremely fired up and wanting to get this bad taste out of their mouth of this 0 2 start. And if Maryland falls behind early and goes one dimensional, you know, that's going to be trouble. You're throwing the ball around constantly. Then you get the turnovers and then you get defense on the field all the time because you're not establishing any run game. So uh, and then another thing I think, you know, Penn State has more depth and talent in the trenches. Maryland's offensive line looked really good last week, but they haven't face the kind of talent that Penn State has on the defensive line. Northwestern and Minnesota are probably two of the weaker defensive fronts in the conference. So it'll be interesting to see if the offensive line, which really wasn't very good last year, has looked far better this year, but mostly with the same personnel, uh, if they can hold their own against Penn State's defensive
1: front. Did get the big win against Minnesota, mm-hmm. but it, uh, is, there a, is there a hot seat watch for Loxley yet? Obviously, the, the results haven't been there. And you mentioned it is a rebuild, and absolutely, yeah. given what he took over, I mean, I don't envy anybody taking over that situation, but given what he took over, is there a hot seat talk yet or realistically? No,
2: not even close to hot seat talk yet, Sean. It's, uh, I would say, at least a year off if things. Don't go well. Maybe this time next year, if you were to lose most of your games between now and then, it might the whispers might start. But I think any legitimate talk about something like that, you know, considering how big the rebuild was, considering how he's tied to the athletic director, Damon Evans. So he needs to see him succeed rather than having a quick trigger. Uh, wouldn't happen until year four if things really don't
1: improve. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's it's just, and I know that uh, obviously the results haven't been there, but given what he stepped into and given that he's got to be that guy for Maryland football. I feel like that, that you can't just cut bait with him because what are, what are you going to do? Hire another DJ Durkin or, or something, Randy yeah. Edsel or something like that. I don't think, I think it'd just be counterproductive at this point. So, all right, Jeff, uh, we appreciate having you on. Uh, obviously, obviously, always, a, uh, I will call you a polarizing figure on our website, but you do offer the insight that, that we crave here on, on the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us and, and we'll catch you down the road. Thanks for having me, brother. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Thanks to Jeff for his time. Uh, Maryland again coming to town. 3.30 p.m. kickoff in Beaver Stadium on Saturday. And all of a sudden going to be one-third through this revised 2020 football schedule for the Nittany Lions. So what are we watching for with Penn State? Now that we have a better idea of what Maryland brings into this matchup, I think we we start with Sean Clifford often after the games and before the games. You want to see a complete game out of Sean Clifford. It it has been very topsy turvy, um, really rough first half through the first couple of these games. Uh then some some great moments in the second half of both of these games, but it has not been a complete game. Um, there's more that goes into that than just Sean Clifford himself, but it would be a great start to see him in command of the offensive attack for the entire duration of him being out there. I think at times he has not felt he has not looked like he feels like he is in command um, and anticipating uh, and, and 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 trusting those reads and then delivering on them. He's got a, a different starting lineup at wide receiver for, for the second consecutive or for the third consecutive week, I should say. Um, and I feel like he should be gaining some more trust, more comfortable, um, uh, you know, kind of ties with some of these receivers that he's seen. Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert, now stepping up as true freshman. We know he trusts Jahan Dotson; that's apparent. I think Pat Fryermuth maybe do uh, for his best game of the season here but to me it's Clifford you know you want to see it early on you want to see it carry into the second quarter you want to see him come out of the half firing on all cylinders last year he was remarkable against Maryland he uh he was he was challenging Trace McSorley's all-purpose record for a single game and that was without playing for much of the second half and he was the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week that time You don't need all that, but you need to just see Clifford be consistent against a defense that has been overmatched every step of the way here in 2020 and throughout the recent matchups against Penn State. If we don't see it and it's kind of that herky jerky performance and, and there's peaks and valleys and, and, and it doesn't look like he's in control against this defense, particularly Sean, it's a major red flag. There's been a few red flags early, but it feels like this is one where Sean Clifford, as a second year starter, gets a team he's already torched before. Week three of the season with Kirk Shiraka the timing the table it all seems to be set
1: up for him to go out there and deliver and it seems like there's confidence swings with Sean Clifford and last year you really saw that in the Maryland game where he's just going out and i mean playing some schoolyard ball running around i think of the the touchdown pass that he had to Journey Brown where he just kind of floated out there and dumped it off like it was nothing and that's a pass that you know we haven't seen him make this year in terms of being confident and doing being able to do some of some of the things like that so I like to see him
0: touchdown on the first play of that game. Touchdown run the first offensive play, and he was vocal with that Maryland blackout crowd from pregame on. And it, it, that was the good version of excitable Sean Clifford. We've seen what it looks like when it goes the other way.
1: Yeah, and it's something that you know you you need. Uh, if uh, the further the schedule goes along, and you're not obviously not going to get Ohio State every week, but you're also not going to get Maryland every week. So got to get those confidence under, uh, get that confidence underneath of him, keep him going. Three picks through two games, that's not going to get it done. Um, You know, obviously, they've got to protect the football. Conversely, Maryland has six turnovers in its first two games, so Penn State, you know, wants to get its hand on the football. Um, But no, with Clifford, I mean, I think that running game will certainly help. I think that, you know, if he gets going, and and I think they said this on the broadcast last week, if he gets going as a runner, you know, things open up for him as a passer as well. I'd like to see them, you know, do work over the middle, do some of the things that they did with KJ last year. I think Parker Washington can have a really big game this week uh, in terms of him getting getting open across the middle with those drags. And once he gets open with those drags, realizing how much space he has to work with and and getting up the sideline and making some things happen. So I'm excited to see what Parker Washington can bring to the table. You mentioned Keandre Lambert-Smith listed as a starter as well. So I mean, they're they're all in on the youth movement. And I know, you know, you look at a quarterback that needs stability and all that kind of stuff, and you want to have the veterans, uh, Cam Sullivan-Brown, Daniel George, whatever. Uh, Obviously, Jahan Dotson's been excellent this year. But I mean, if you're committed to the youth movement th- and those guys can play and they can be those guys, I mean, that's, that's who you got to roll with.
0: We spoke with Taylor Stubblefield, wide receivers coach for Penn State on Thursday, story up on lines 24 seven detailing some of the big takeaways from that conversation, but very clear, and, and let me say this: We had not spoken with Taylor Stubblefield since April. At, at that point, Parker Washington wasn't on campus, and he hadn't even over—he over, didn't even conduct a practice with Penn State to that point because spring ball was wiped out. He was back home in Washington State waiting for waiting for uh, an answer on when he could get back to campus. Now he's had time, and it's very clear that that those two wide receivers, those two freshmen, he feels like they're two of the best three receivers for Penn State right now. He said, you know, we're going to put the best guys on the field. They've earned that trust. They've earned that confidence that they've put in the work. Um And he also, and, and Franklin said this on Wednesday, there's also the case where it's not like this is a, a depth chart loaded at the top where these freshmen have surged past a bunch of guys there's a there's a balance here. These two players, Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert. If you listen to this podcast, you know that we think they're special. They are special young talents. But the other side of the coin, in Franklin references, there's really there's really a lack of depth and experience at wide receiver. And we've also talked about that. So those two things meet in the middle, and it equates to these guys both being in the starting lineup by week three. So impressive on their parts. Also concerning on on where Penn State has has been gathering talent at wide receiver and developing that. And they're on their fourth positional coach in four years but we've talked about this there's one spot one area of, of this program right now where you feel like is on an ascending trajectory through these two weeks and what we've seen tangibly you feel like wide receiver is that spot now you know an injury or two you're in a scary spot, scary situation from a depth depth perspective um, but I think right now with the three you're running out there um, you're excited to see what they can cook up and uh, you know you would like to think this is a matchup where uh, you don't need to lean on the passing attack. As referenced, Maryland giving up 600 plus rushing yards through two weeks. Um, you'd like to establish a lead where where it makes a lot of sense to run the football late in this contest repeatedly um, and with authority. And and going back to that run game, Sean, the absence last week and game flow kind of played into this. There's no doubt about it. We know they wanted to utilize Sean as, as a quarterback runner and, and then kind of make that a catalyst of the offensive game plan against Ohio State. But no Kevon Lee, no Kazaya Holmes in terms of getting the ball in their hands. We saw Kazaya out there for a few plays. Um, but, but those two guys to me, It feels like this is an opportunity to, to get their feet further wet. You know, I mean, they got a little bit involved against Indiana, but you want to get these guys, um, carries, touches, get that ball security confidence going, take some shots from Big Ten defenders, get back up and, and, you know, take the next play and, and and keep moving forward. It's, 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 you know, it's a significant transition for any young running back. And also Devin Ford. It feels like the spotlight is on him here in, in, in a way. Sean Clifford's going to gather that spotlight because of who he is and because of how he's played and because he's at the quarterback position. But Devin Ford is following up, you know, some really impressive running backs who have started for Penn State, whether it's Saquon Barkley to to Miles Sanders to to Noah Cain briefly having his breakout moments, then Jerry Brown having a tremendous breakout moment and people thinking he might be the best running back in the 2021 draft. So far, Devin Ford's big moment is one that he would love to not discuss again for the rest of his career, I'm sure. So to me, this is like, you know, what, what do you got, Devin? You're, you're, you're coming in a top 100 prospect. We both think highly of him. You would seem to be able to outclass a lot of these Maryland defenders. You would seem to have an edge from the offensive front against Maryland's defense. What can you do with some of that extra wiggle room? What can you do in the open field? Can you break a few tackles? Can you make some guys miss? Can you go out and put together a 100-yard-plus rushing game? It, it, the, 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 again, it feels like this is the right team to take that step forward. And I'll be watching very closely how Devin Ford handles this because I think if he doesn't come out and assert himself himself the door really will be swung open to see what Kevon Lee and Kazai Holmes can do there's a lot more that goes into the running back position than gaining yards uh, there's pass protection there's knowing your assignments he would appear to have the edge in that because of being on campus a full year ahead but uh, I just think you, you want to see what you've got what buttons you can push in that ground game because you got six games ahead and, and you're going to need to be able to to, to kind of know what
1: you're working with. Honestly, I, I don't think I can improve upon what you just said. I agree with that. I think, uh, you know, Devin Ford's going to have an opportunity to do so, but at, that's a position where if you don't make the most of your opportunities, somebody else has shown that they will. So I think that both those freshmen play. I think those, those freshmen play a decent amount considering the, the circumstances and, and I honestly can't wait to see what, what each of them bring to the table, because right now you're not getting the most out of your running game. Some of that's up front, some of that's uh, in the backfield, but uh, all of it needs needs remedied, I guess.
0: Yeah, so here we are, week three of the 2020 season, talking about four true freshmen involved in the offensive attack. The one guy I don't want to forget here is Pat Fryermuth. Ohio State was clearly concerned about Pat Fryermuth in week two. Indiana scored that touchdown on the first drive on a fourth down play. Um, to me, this is where Pat Friermuth, if he, he is who we think he is. There's no doubt in my mind that that he's a premier tight end prospect and he's going to go on to play a lot of football on Sundays. It would just seem that against this Maryland defense with what Kirk Sciarocca has spoken about getting the ball in playmakers hands. Uh, these are all like, the, we're talking about the freshman who's going to step up this, that this is the known commodity. And I feel like Fryermuth should be able to feast against this Maryland team. We'll see how they handle him defensively and what maybe that opens up for other guys and prevents Clifford from doing with Pat Fryermuth. You don't want to force it there. You don't want to make mistakes because you're trying to feed Fryermuth. But it just feels like Fryermuth, his abilities, his experience, he should be ready to do some damage.
1: I agree. I think that, you know, this is an opportunity for him to kind of put up big numbers and it's been sort of hit and miss. I mean, he had targets in the first week, but Jahan Dotson is, is leading the team in targets right now. So, how much attention do you have to pay to all these different guys? And I, know, I realize that's opening some. I realize that's opening some things up for Dotson. But you know, Fryermuth is the player he, that we think he is, and you know, I have no reason to doubt that he is, and certainly can go to that and go to that well and get him moving across and and doing. I mean, just doing some of the things that made him successful in the first place. And I think certainly he'll get there defensively
0: Sean well, what are we making of the first 8 quarters and one possession that we have seen uh for for this Penn State defense there have been some some impressive moments uh, certainly the 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 edge rushing late in that game against Indiana not very late in that game but late in that game really stole the show shaka tony and Jason away although away didn't record the, the sacks but that was impressive. Ohio State saw some steps forward at some roles, uh, but also some steps back or kind of stagnation in certain spots. I think, I think the one thing we can circle is Joey Porter Jr. We hope he's healthy because he did you know kind of limp off the, the field last week and don't know what his status will be. But if he's healthy, he has looked really, really impressive. I think Tariq Castro-Fields has looked like he's settled in after a rough finish to last year. Part of that is health. Um, but to me, you've got question marks at safety. You've certainly got question marks at linebacker. Jesse Lucchetta helps you there. And I think you want to see this defensive front assert itself with more regularity, with more consistency, and going from Justin Fields and the Ohio State offensive front to uh Tungavailoa and and, and on the Big 10 road game uh, that he's facing here and the Maryland offensive front you would feel that this is some time to do some flexing for for John Scott's unit on the defensive line.
1: Yeah, it's not just winning up front, it's it's dominating up front is what you need to see from this unit because I don't think Maryland's offensive line, I mean they ran for a ton of yards last week, but I don't think that there's uh you know a guy that scares you up front. So um, putting your, you know, getting getting a little bit back from that last week. PJ Mustapher, um was kind of pushed around last week. Now he's he's drawn a lot of doubles in the first two games, but still, I mean, he's he's been a guy that's been pushed. Antonio Shelton had a decent game last week, and you got to get home with those defensive ends. And I think you probably have a little bit more of a chance this week in terms of keeping, you know, keeping the quarterback in the pocket and keeping the ball in his hand. And that's been an issue. I mean, like I said, six turnovers for Maryland in the first two weeks, a couple of fumbles and four picks. The opportunity is there for you to get your hands on the football, so you got to dominate up front. Um, the biggest thing that I took from from watching Saturday again, Penn State's linebackers just flat out they need to be better, and that's uh, we, we saw some things from Brandon Smith, etc. Jesse Lucchetta was good when he came back in, but as a whole, that unit was just. There's such a difference between seeing the other side of the football versus what Penn State put out there at linebacker. So that's that's got to be something. And I, I think the defensive backfield will be okay. I mean, Tariq Castrofields and, and Joey Porter have big matchups. They're, they're matchups that I think they can win. If they win those or even if there's a stalemate there, I think the rest Maryland's of the defense – Maryland's in trouble. Yeah, Maryland's the, the rest in trouble if that happens. Fun. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah.
0: Um and two guys that I have my my eyes on in this one uh, in that defensive backfield that are not in the starting lineup, but we you know we've heard about them, we've expected to see them in different ways. Keaton Ellis is he going to be on the field? Is he going to be involved? Will it just be special teams? Will he be on the sideline? He's been a bit of a mystery. He's kind of been the mystery. Uh, He's been the defensive mystery version of of Cam Sullivan Brown on offense, where we don't have all the details and, and we're not seeing the guy that we expected to be a, a contributor. Also in that cornerback room, Daquan Hardy. He's the one guy that's been referenced as maybe pushing Lamont Wade at that star role, maybe, maybe making his case to get more reps there. Um, it's an area that we've talked about in slot coverage, um, that has not been kind to Penn State over the course of, of these first two contests. And Daquan Hardy, uh, not going to physically wow you. But I've heard comparisons to John Reed, uh, and I've heard that, that, you know, this is a guy that is just very physical at his size. And if you watched him in high school, he was an absolute playmaker, but he was headed to the MAC conference until Penn State swooped in with that late offer. Does he get a chance to break through today at some point? Um, I know that that's been a point of frustration for a lot of our readers and for our audience is is the performance and the production for other teams out of the slot against, against Lamont Wade, typically in that star role. We heard a lot of names coming through in contention for that role during preseason, but when I asked about it this week directly... The only guy James Franklin went to there was DaQuan Hardy. So, uh, gathered a little bit of, of of intel on Hardy over the course of this week from some guys, uh, you know, and and you hear great things. Everyone seems to say he's set up to succeed in that kind of slot coverage. And um, again, hearing a lot about John Reed comparisons, which is I think uh, pretty impressive stuff at this stage of his career. Um, do we see him get a shot? That, that, that's, it. or is it just Lamont Wade being the guy? That, that's the way James Franklin f- phrased it. Um, I think you, you like Lamont Wade as a safety more than you do a, as a slot cover guy. And
1: I think that's been the, the takeaway from the first couple of weeks when Lamont Wade's been back deep. He's been. It's perfectly fine. I mean, you, sure. There's been issues, you know, getting over in coverage. They had the, the deep touchdown uh, to uh, to Olave last weekend, um, but I mean, he's, he's been fine. I mean, he hasn't been a, a world beater or anything. Got the pick in week one, but uh, yeah, I mean, just been a different player in the slot. And you want to see what you've got there. I agree that Hardy's got probably going to be the guy. It was interesting when they, they had that complete breakdown on the touchdown against Ohio State. Hardy was one of the guys that they were running on, along with Jair Brown. Jair Brown, by the way, I think is a guy that's going to play a lot of football this weekend, and we're going to maybe get a, a better look at what, uh, what he can bring to the table. So, There's there's certain guys in that defensive backfield, like we talked with with the freshman running backs, that are probably going to get more time than you would expect, and you know they certainly need it. You need some reps for some of those guys, so we'll see what happens. And and Marquise Wilson, I mean, got beat on the on the touchdown last week. I mean, where's he at in terms of where does he fit into this mix? Uh, That's also another good question. So we'll see what happens. I think we're going to see plenty of personnel um, on on uh, Saturday afternoon. Sorry, I was almost thinking Friday night game, but uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, And I think that, you know, those guys can can get some quality reps. And that's exactly what they need going into the rest of the schedule.
0: Another name curious to see in this matchup, uh, Curtis Jacobs. If if the game gets to where you want it to be, this could be an opportunity for us to get an extended look at, at the former five-star linebacker, who's a true freshman, and a guy that I think was going to burn a redshirt if there was a redshirt situation in 2020, uh, listed on the two-deep right now as the direct backup to, to Brandon Smith at, at the Sam position. And Brandon Smith, I, I want to see how his confidence carries over Sean from Ohio State. Um, James Franklin saw a step there. I think we did as well. In a spotlight moment for Brandon, I think he started to answer the bell, started to figure some things out, and move quickly. Uh, I think that's important for him. You can you can kind of tell when he's processing and versus when he's just playing uh, instinctually, and, and that's when he's really impressive, getting downhill and and attacking. Um, Want to see what we get out of Brandon Smith again? It would seem to be with his athleticism uh, and with his pedigree in a matchup where you should be able to tell that Brandon Smith is a little bit different than than the guys he's competing with in this matchup. Um, and, but like I said, I think you you would love to open the roster a little bit. And that brings in a guy like Curtis Jacobs. Uh, We've seen a lot of Jair Brown already. And James Franklin said probably more than they anticipated that they would see from Jair Brown. But, you know, I even think Kaziah Izzard, a defensive tackle, a a freshman there. um, And, and, you know, can you work in some of these guys, get some film on them, something to kind of scrutinize some things to point to in the positive for this coaching staff? Uh, because to this point, without the non-conference, with with a really tight matchup in Bloomington, a game where you're trying to keep up against Ohio State, you just have not been able to assess your 2020
1: roster in a in a way that you would normally be able to do on an annual basis. Yeah, it's the non-conference effect. I mean, without the non-conference schedule, you don't have that. So you've got guys like Judge Culpepper, who they said had a very good offseason. We haven't really seen a, a defensive tackle at all. Smith Vilbert's kind of in that mold as well. You expected to see a little bit more of him. Jacobs, I mean, we saw Charlie Catcher a little bit at linebacker. And then back in the secondary, I mean, do you get Trent Gordon on the field, Tyler Rudolph, these guys, and, and get Zach them? about Zach Koontz? yeah. I mean, he doesn't play defense, but yeah, we can do that too. Um <laughs> yeah. no, I I think that yeah, you're going to see some of those guys and and TJ Jones is another guy that I'm interested to see if you, you know, if this is a blowout and you, and you're trying to figure out, you know, who can provide you with at least some quality depth, get those guys some reps and get them out and about and and on the field. So I mean, I think this is the week for it. I, I do think that they're going to win and win big. But uh, yeah, this is uh, f- first things first. How, how do you get going? Yes. You got to you got to start. You get on the board early. Um, you know, it'd be nice to get a kick return or something like that, just to, to, to spur you and, and get you in good field position, or even take it all the way. So I think you've got the ability to to hit some big plays. And like I mentioned, Parker Washington, I think is going to have an opportunity to do that across the middle because I'm not sure that they have a guy that's playing in the slot or playing in, in that little hybrid linebacker role that can keep up with him so interested to see what kind of production he's able to to bring across this weekend
0: and what's the what's the follow-up act for Jahan Dotson I mean that was a heck of a moment last Saturday what's next for him and his development as the number one wide receiver for this team a lot to a lot to look forward to here potentially it could be a a kind of day that everyone can exhale a bit but you know it's tough to give Penn State the ben- complete benefit of the doubt through these two games. They've got to go out and they've got to they've got to build that lead, and, and then you can kind of say, "All right, well, let's take a take a longer look at some of these other players, get them some reps." And and one of those I should mention, who we saw a lot of last year against Maryland, Will Levis. You know, Kirk Scirocco would like to get some game film on Will Levis, on his number two quarterback. Uh, I don't think that happens if this is a uh, seven point game going into the fourth quarter. But if it's more along the lines of what we have seen lately in the Maryland Penn State series, there should be ample opportunity uh, over the course of the, your your last few possessions, to see what Will Levis can do and how he can function and and handle what you're asking him to do in this offensive attack, and I think that's very important for Kirk Characca to get looks at the other quarterbacks and assess these guys and see what he has on the roster and maybe how that impacts uh, what they do uh, this this upcoming offseason. And,
1: and given given the lack of a non conference schedule, if you if you're up big, I wouldn't be surprised if they still throw it. I mean, I you know. Y- oh yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, running it up is is one thing, but getting your guys the reps that they need certainly that's kind of why you're out there. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was uh, that was an option as well.
0: I don't think you're putting Will Levis out there to to take knees. Uh, you know, you want to see what this kid can do, and I and I also don't think you just want to run him straight forward up the gut three straight times. And I know he excels in that kind of role, and people uh, are impressed by his rushing ability. But you want to see this kid drop back, go through some reads and see what his accuracy, and and and, and just what he it looks like as a complete quarterback, because we're just not sure we haven't gotten that, and certainly not under Kirk Shiraka. So again, pen, <laughs> this might feel disrespectful to Maryland, but this series has been pretty disrespectful to Maryland overall, so we're kind of just uh, in sync with that, and as we get into our predictions, you'll kind of hear why we're of this mindset. Sean, we'll start with you, because uh, between m- myself, Mark Brennan, and you, you've got
1: the widest margin of all. I went 45 to 10 Penn State. And like I said, I made this prediction earlier in the week and then looked a little bit closer at that Maryland Minnesota game. And I think Penn State can score more than 45 points. What Northwestern had 43, uh, Minnesota had 44. So that defense is not built to stop people. I mean, it, I'm not sure what it's built to do, but it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it <laughs> I, I, I just talked myself right into a hole there, um, but it's uh, it's not very good. So uh, Penn State should be able to score some points and 10 would be, you know, obviously uh, a big boost from what they've been able to put together over the last couple of years. And, you know, I mean, you won't come out and say it, but you know James Franklin wants this one because of the, you know, the recruiting ties, and obviously he spent a lot of time at Maryland, and you know has a bunch of connections there, and he and Loxley are often painted on the other side of each other in terms of adversaries. But uh, yeah, I think that he went through that loss in 2014, and he certainly doesn't want to get anywhere close to there again.
0: This and just this feels like the blow off blow off some steam game where you are going to if you if you're in a position where you're in control of this game you just keep attacking and you and you keep battling because you want your team to feel really really good about itself coming out of week 3 because it hasn't been able to really feel that way the last couple of weeks and it's faced a lot of scrutiny and I know James Franklin this is this is the game where you want to blow off some steam and Maryland's the right team to run into at this point uh, based on recent history um, I take a touchdown away from Penn State and give it to Maryland on the scoreboard essentially 38 to 17 is is the score I got. 17 feels a little high, though, for, for Maryland scoring against Penn State. Um, you know, I'm kind of reconsidering that the longer I think. And maybe 38 is low for Penn State as well. Uh, but 21-point but margin, I think you'll take that if you're a Penn State fan. Uh, if you're a gambler, maybe not so much. Doesn't get the job done for you. Mark's got Maryland scoring 27 points, which I think would be, uh, you know, that would be a head scratcher for the Penn State defense for a lot of folks. But he's got Penn State putting up 44. So 44 to 27 from Mark Brennan, 38 to 17 for myself and Sean Fitz. 45 to 10 on his pick. We'll see who's right. We'll see who's closest on Saturday as as that game plays out. And of course, when the game goes final, uh, Sean and I uh, will coordinate a plan to get on a podcast call with you, unfortunately, much earlier than the one we experienced uh, after the Ohio State matchup. And uh, hopefully we'll have some commentary uh, pretty quickly for you coming out of this one. Um, One thing we want to address before we get into our five-star mailbag We're on the verge of Derek Davis finally announcing his uh, commitment, a kid who has been on the national radar since his freshman year of high school at Gateway High School in Western Pennsylvania. And, Sean, uh, LSU, Ohio State, Penn State, the teams that are uh, being discussed here at the the very edge of this decision, Uh, Penn State has made him a priority for a long time. The Terry Smith connection has been well documented. You've written about it before in the past. He got to LSU here. He went down to Baton Rouge, made a trip. He didn't get to make a lot of trips, not as many as he thought he would. Is that enough to maybe give the Tigers, who are struggling this year in a lot of ways, an edge over two schools that he has spent a lot of time with? It might be,
1: and I... I Obviously, I don't get it in terms of. I mean, he went to Baton Rouge last weekend. They were at Auburn. Didn't get. To, he's yet to meet with anybody from the LSU staff face to face. But really, really impressed what they saw in Baton Rouge and you know the the academics and everything like that. So I I just I mean, I guess what ten o'clock on Friday morning. I guess I'm leaning LSU just based off that last minute visit. Like I said, it doesn't make a lot of sense from from that standpoint. But LSU obviously is coming off a national title, so that certainly helps. Um, it's. A weird recruitment in the, the year of weird recruitment. So I guess it's not that far out of the box. I thought Penn State was in great, a great spot whenever he announced when he was going to make his decision uh, in October. Um, then he visited Ohio State. You obviously didn't want to see that happen. Then he visited LSU. You didn't want to see that happen. But it seems like LSU really made an impression, which is, uh, you know, it goes against a lot of the logic. But uh, I guess, we, we, and we don't know for sure yet. I mean, sometimes we know this stuff in advance and can talk around it. Uh, he's been playing things very, very close to the vest, and, and we're not sure. I, I'm leaning LSU right now, though.
0: So you're saying on a weekend where LSU was in Alabama at Auburn, losing by 20, 37 points, uh, that Derek Davis was swayed to Baton Rouge. Um, yeah, 2020 recruiting has been something. The twenty 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 man. 2021 cycle. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll take a big step forward next month with the early signing period, I'm expecting more action than normal um, beyond that into February. We'll see if there are visits possibly going to be able to take place early in 2021. Uh, we don't know yet, um, but there, there you go on Derek Davis. That decision should be coming. I think sometime around four 15, four 30 is the t- last I saw on Saturday. So that would put us somewhere late in the first half probably in this Maryland Penn state matchup. So Uh, we'll be doing two things at once. And when Derek Davis decides, we'll have stuff on the site. Um, and and certainly some reaction from our national recruiting team, um, about whatever the pick is and, and, um, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Um, five star mailbag, Sean, going to cap it off with this and it kind of blends the recruiting conversation with this game conversation. Here it is. Does a win over Maryland move the needle for recruiting at all in that region? Maryland seems to be doing a better job of keeping some top guys home lately. The DMV always seems like a priority uh, for Penn State, and uh, Damian Robinson, uh, the big name to know on their in their 2021 class, a uh, guy that Penn State uh, prioritized early in the cycle on defense. Uh, Raheem Jarrett, who I mentioned, a five-star wide receiver, it was a big, su- big surprise to see him stick at home uh, with Maryland, and he's making an early impact. Um, what say you, Sean, they, they tried to build that one last year as a big moment for them and, and a recruiting turning point and all that. And it it ended up being a 59, nothing loss at home. Uh, To me, it feels like this matchup, there's more to gain for, for
1: Maryland than there is for Penn state to lose slash gain in in this matchup. Oh, a hundred percent. I don't think there's a ton that Penn state can gain from this. I mean, you want to get back on the winning track and you want to, you know, basically say, okay, there's a little brother down there that you need to, you know, just beat on their their arm repeatedly or whatever. Um, So, I mean, I I don't think it does a ton. Last year, I think it did a lot more in terms of getting, you know, establishing yourself because it seemed like Maryland had a little bit of momentum. They had that win over, I think, Syracuse to open the season um, who may have been ranked or maybe week two, whatever. Um, But That was a statement, and that that was actually one game that could set you back a while if you're Maryland. It seems like it it did. Now, the thing to remember about Maryland, sort of similar to Pitt, is they're going to keep guys home, like really good talent. It's going to be this one-odd two guys that stay home you know, do the movement, protect everything, you know, all that, you know, thing that those things, Damian Robinson seems to be that guy. Raheem Rakim Jarrett's Nick that Cross. guy, or uh, was that guy? Nick Cross is that guy. Uh, going back to, is really Stefan Diggs is one of those guys that, that started all this. So um, the, I think they're always going to have that one or two guys that buy into what's going on. Loxley's so personally invested in Damian Robinson's, uh, you know, in his recruitment that I think it would be still surprising to see him go anywhere. But I think you're always going to have that. You saw that at Pitt. With guys like Paris Ford and Demar Hamlin, and you know guys that have national offer lists but elect to stay home, it doesn't happen too many, and, and oftentimes it doesn't really have the effect that those players probably thought thought it would when when they made that decision. Um, but yeah, I think you're going to certainly going to have that, and I think that's more it's more of the same than anything else when you take a look at the the recruiting trends between Penn State and Maryland, and and what's going on in the DMV. I think the biggest. Concern in the DMV is those guys looking south, like you know, like we talk about with Philadelphia. So I don't think that that's really, uh, and honestly, this cycle they didn't really run across Maryland all that that often, and that may be uh, a product of not being able to go on visits because a lot of these guys will hit Maryland, hit Penn State in a similar amount of time or a similar time frame um, when they can do that. So I don't really think it's going to move the needle all that much. I mean, obviously you want to establish your dominance, keep your dominance and all that kind of thing, but I don't really see that being a, a, something that, that, that sways anyone or, or does anything that you probably didn't know coming into the weekend.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, th- th- Maryland has been for a while now selling, come and be a, a, the brick in the foundation, you know, th- you know, stay in the home region, help build this thing up and be remembered a decade from now as, as a major building block and, and someone who turned the momentum You know that works, but there's only so often you can do it. And how many coaching staffs have come come through and tried to sell that? I I saw Greg Schiano try to sell that firsthand at Rutgers, and but there was a winning product on the field at that point. Maryland's had trouble consistently winning, and you gotta eventually point and say we've turned the corner. Now help us keep building. It's hard to get guys when they have offers to schools that are in the college football playoff conversation and schools that are producing, you know, six to 10 draft picks every year to stay at home to help with that pride point. You know, uh, there have been plenty of examples of you pointed out a few that have stayed home and they've been big for Maryland, but there's plenty of examples of guys who have thought about it and then bailed. Uh, Dwayne Haskins come to mind as one of those. Trayvon Diggs a few
1: years ago as well, kept Maryland in the mix late. Um, and and it can happen, but it's right. I mean, you look at what North Carolina is trying to mm -hmm. do right now. And there's a lot of that in terms of, you know, pulling those, those home state guys, you got to have number one, you got to have the talent. North Carolina is stocked in 2021. Number two, you got to get a little bit of buzz. And they did that with Sam Howell it's going to be very hard to sort of commandeer buzz if you're Mike Loxley and, you know, winning a couple of games every year. Obviously, he's got that record, you know, behind him, you know, in his past. It's not going away either. So I think that that's going to be, it's going to be a very hard thing to do. Now, you look at that, you look at that con- compared to Greg Schiano. I mean, schiano has got a resume to go with, you know, what he's trying to do at Rutgers. So I think that's where you see, excuse me. That's where you see kind of the difference in what they're trying to do and what Rutgers is trying to do, and what some other programs like North Carolina have tried to do. And we know with
0: Maryland recruiting and, and when that kind of crosses the same path as Penn State, it's not just in Maryland, that DMV region, that Beltway area right around DC and Northern Virginia. Penn State's always going to try to hit that area hard, it needs to on an annual basis, and that needs to be the lifeblood for the Maryland Terrapins. Just quickly noting this. The top 15 players in the uh, top 24-7 out of Maryland, uh, the rankings there, only one has committed. Jamal Hood, a cornerback from St. Francis in Baltimore, committed to Boston College. He's the number nine guy. Everybody else at this point in the 2022 cycle is uncommitted. And a lot of these names, I'm not going to go through them, but a lot of these guys have Penn state scholarship offers. So um, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, Penn state thumping Maryland is going to have people racing to Penn state, but Penn state thumping Maryland might have people racing away from the Terps and not believing in where they're going. And I think, you know, that's also beneficial to the Nittany lines on the recruiting trail because a loss like that last year, 59, nothing in a game that you really set up as a marquee moment for your program that blew up in your face. They got a little bit of buzz generated from a Friday night win against Minnesota Uh, They fall flat here. Penn State takes it to them. You pretty much zap all that away, and people are going to be saying, "Same old Maryland. Why would you go there? Uh, You know, go to a school that's more established. Go to a school that's going to win some big games. Do you want to get blown out on TV, week in, week out against the big dogs? That's really what you gain from this. If you're Penn State, is kind of just you know putting Maryland down a little bit. I don't think you can really elevate yourself necessarily in the eyes of these recruits, but you can put Maryland down, and at the end of the day, that is helpful.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And you, and you look at the 22, you mentioned the 22 guys that they've offered and I'm just in Maryland right now going through it and you don't see a ton of Maryland influence there. And there's some guys that obviously are going to be, you know, around College Park and going to be familiar with the, how everything's runs. And they've got some guys there on staff that have, you know, been high school coaches and things like that in that area. But you look at really Penn State's targets in Maryland right now and and not a ton of overlap. I think Dan, Danny Dennis Sutton is one of the top, probably three priorities for Penn State right now on either side of the ball in that 2022 class. And you don't really hear a ton about Maryland with him. It's more Alabama. Um, you know, you go down and Jay Sean Barham's a guy that's sort of in that situation too. I mean, Penn State's trying to, and I'm not saying they're going to land, uh, you know, a ton of these guys, but they're trying to to shoot high at this point. It just seems like it's a little bit different Uh, A little less of a balance there.
0: Danny Dennis Sutton out of the McDonough school in Owens Mills,
1: and you'll see maybe – He's actually from Delaware. Is he? I mean, he's uh, he's from – yeah, south Delaware, like coastal Delaware, which actually surprised me. But he's up at McDonough, and obviously you know what Penn State's been able to do at McDonough in the last couple of cycles. We might see
0: three former McDonough defensive players on the field for Penn State involved. On Saturday between PJ Mustafer and Devon Ellis at tackle and also Curtis Jacobs, who I mentioned before at linebacker. Um, that's going to put, put a bow on that conversation. Good question. It got the conversation stirred up a little bit here and, and, and certainly something that's on Maryland's mind in a game like this. What they could benefit uh, from recruiting, but what they could lose also uh, by another Penn State beatdown It needs to be addressed. Sean, we went longer on this conversation than we thought we would on on overall in the podcast, but um, we gave our predictions, gave everything. Do you have anything else to offer to this discussion before we turn the page and uh, check in on Beaver Stadium on what looks like a pretty nice Saturday afternoon?
1: Oh, it's a pretty nice week, yeah. man. Uh, that's what I'm taking out of this. I think it's supposed to be in the seventies into, into through next week. I mean, maybe play a little golf. So <laughs> that's, go. uh, that's what I'm taking out of this. I think Penn State should roll on Saturday. And I think that that, that's exactly kind of what they need. All right. Whatever happens, we'll be with you online 24
0: seven. C- check our coverage on the site throughout the weekend, including that, de- uh, Derek Davis commitment announcement. And of course, post game podcast coming your way, uh, later on Saturday when this game goes final for Sean Fitz. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks as always. Game three. Coming up next, we'll
1: talk to you soon.